What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Welcome back to Herd Tell. Thank you so much for giving us the most precious thing you have, your time, as we try to do what we always do, turn down the noise of the news cycle, get to the information that really matters so that we can better discern our time, times, turn down all the caterwauling, turn down all the nonsense, get to what we need to know. I want to start with a very serious matter. We've um, been watching the unfolding events in Israel, Hamas's horrific terrorist attack, Israel's response, the whole world is kind of holding their breath a little bit, watching these things. We now have an American destroyer that is shooting down missiles. Look, I don't think we're going to go to World War III. Everybody needs to calm down a little bit. Yes, there's carriers in the med. They were going to be there anyway. We're just moving them over a little bit. Everybody keep your head here. However, this is serious business. I'm going to withhold their name, but one of our friends online on uh, social media posted something, and I'm going to paraphrase it, and I'm not going to give them their account because they already got enough nasty stuff in the response. But paraphrasing what they said, and this is a Jewish person, said, I've learned there's three kinds of people now. Those that would hide my family, those that would not hide my family, and those that would tell them that want me dead exactly where to find me if I was hiding. Now, that sounds pretty stark, but think about what we saw when Hamas came in and just started murdering people in their homes and at a peace festival of all things. Yes, Israel needs to be a little bit restrained in their response. I know people get mad at that, but no, we need to try to keep civilian casualties down, even though we all understand Hamas uses the Palestinians as a human shield. But think about what they just said. Somebody on Twitter had posted a a picture of Corey Ten Boone in the hiding place. I've been there. My children uh, went there. My daughter went on a school field trip when we lived in Germany, and they went to Holland. It's the town of Harlem, not New York City, Harlem, Harlem with two A's in Amsterdam. Great city, by the way. You need to go visit it. When you go to the hiding place, down in the bottom of a cabinet, they just had a false little front. And then there was just a couple of inches between the walls so that they could hide the Jews. It was upstairs. They were the Corey Ten Boone family were watchmakers. And upstairs of their watchmaking and jewelry shop was their house very small apartment, and you went through this built-in cabinet-type thing in the wall, and that's where they would hide the Jews. When you stand there, 
I watch my children climb back there into the recess in the wall the way they have it set up for you to do. I've been to the concentration camps, a couple different ones. I've been to the hiding place. When I see somebody I care about online saying, I know who will hide me, who will not hide me, and who will tell them where to find me that are hunting my family. You can put those things together really quickly and understand exactly what they mean. When you see people chanting in the streets, gas the Jews, as we saw in Australia. When you see people talking the river to the sea, you need to ask him river to the sea. Does that mean you got to kill every Jew between the river and the sea? Because that's what a lot of them mean. No, I'm not blind to what the Palestinian people suffer under the terrorist regime of Hamas. But anti-Semitism is not a new thing. We talk about what would we do in World War II? Would you stand up to the Nazis? Well, now you've got an opportunity because it's happening right in front of us. I'm not just giving you hyperbole here. This is stuff that's real to a lot of people. There are people who think the Jewish people should all be killed. And they will openly tell you that. Hamas did it. Everything they did, they videoed because they were proud of it and wanted the world to know. You need to decide right now, you, your family, your loved ones, your household, whatever. If they came to hide, would you hide them? If they came and asked for shelter, would you not give it to them? Or are you going to be those people that tell them where to find them so they can hunt them down and kill them? Hopefully that day never comes. It's almost impossible for an American mind to think of something like that. But that day came in South Israel just a few days ago. And they were going door to door just murdering anybody they could get their hands on. You have to decide before the crisis how you will respond as a crisis. You train yourself how you will respond in crisis. You decide long before the crisis comes what you will do. You better decide now that when somebody tells you we're going to wipe a group of people off the face of the earth because whatever reasons they have, you better believe them and you better understand that they are your enemy and you need to stand up against them. Or if you're joining them, excusing them or enabling them, you're the bad guy, you're the evil, you're the problem. That sounds harsh. It sounds stark. It sounds dark. We live in America. That stuff won't ever happen here, right? You don't know that. These are not Israeli problems or Palestinian problems or Hamas problems or Middle East problems. These are human problems. These are problems that come from the soul that have been ate up by hatred and dark ideology and hate-filled words over generations and centuries. This is a people problem. And if you are a person, you have the ability within you to do great evil unless you work really hard not to. Decide now, before that day ever comes, would you hide them? Would you not hide them? Would you tell them where to find them so that more evil can be done? If you wait till the last minute to try to decide that, you're going to fail the test. The ten boons are honored now because of what they did and thousands and thousands of others who hid the Jews during the Holocaust. And you can go to other cultures and different genocides across the world that have happened, the Armenian Genocide, Holdemoyor, the Great Leap Forward in China where they just starved maybe as many as 20 million people. We don't even know how many people may have died in that. When evil comes, you had better live a life 
up until that point that you know what good is, you can identify the evil, and you can fight against it and stand up to it. You wait till the moment comes to decide what you are, who you are, and what you're about. It's far, far too late. Hopefully, this is a wake-up call to folks that they need to decide now, today, right now, before somebody shows up with a weapon, before somebody shows up trying to kill, before somebody shows up demanding to know what such-and-such group lives and are you a believer in such-and-such a faith, what you're going to say. You don't want to wait until the end of the world to decide where you stand. The time of peace and prosperity is when you prepare for the times you don't have it. The world has lived in a period of peace and prosperity, especially Americans over the last, really since World War II, a very small portion of Americans have carried the burdens of warfare, whether it's Vietnam, Korea, Desert Storm, Iraq, Afghanistan. Less than 1% serve in the military active right now. That's a small burden. At some point, that may change. Make up your mind now to do good, to be on the side of good, to fear no evil, identify it, and stand and fight against it. Because there's goodness still in the world left, but only if the good people do that and prepare ahead of time. More Hertel right after this. Let's go to Congress. We've been covering the chaos there pretty thoroughly. Um, We're not doing a lot of the play-by-play because it's such a mess it's hard to keep up with. That's why we bring people like our friend Eric on to keep up with this because he's actually in the halls of Congress. Jim Jordan's speakership bit has failed. He's not going to be the speaker now. We knew he wasn't going to be. That's why we already talked about it. But now the machinations have moved forward. The Republican Party in the House of Representatives is in complete and total disarray. It is really hard to put into words how historically ridiculous this is. We've never gone this long as a country without a Speaker of the House of Representatives. The GOP caucus and conference is unable to do anything. They are paralyzed. Now, there's a lot of reasons why they got here. Yes, Matt Gates, you know, was dancing around with the grenade that Kevin McCarthy pulled the pen on and handed to him and blew this whole thing up. But this isn't just a Kevin McCarthy story. It's not a Jim Jordan story. It's not a Matt Gates story, really. Jim Jordan, Matt Gates, clown that he is, Kevin McCarthy, duplicitous person that he was that gave away everything possible just so he could have his moment in power, which turned out to be a very fleeting moment indeed. Jim Jordan, who's been in Congress for 16 years and has never passed a piece of legislation that he sponsored. Let me say that one more time. Jim Jordan has been in Congress for 16 years and has never passed a piece of legislation that he was the primary sponsor on. Not one. You know, the main job he's there for. So how do he stay in Congress for 16 years? Well, he was really popular on Fox News. He's really popular on conservative talk radio. He's great on conservative media. He hits all the points. He's a fighter. He fights. No, these are all symptoms to the bigger problem that the GOP has been having for a long time. And they became apparent during the Trump era, but Trump is just another symptom of the same problem. Too many folks on the right 
especially the hardcore right, the MAGA right, whatever you want to call it. They just want to fight. That's all they want to do. They want to get them. They want to own the libs. They want to fight the progressives and fight the liberals and stop all progress and yar and whatever else they say today. Problem is we live in a pluralistic, diverse country that is a democratic republic. Just fighting them doesn't actually accomplish anything. Let me say that one more time real slow for those of you from Madison that are having a hard time with this very basic concept and how a democracy works. Just fighting them doesn't get anything done because the them is always going to change. Jim Jordan is a perfect example of this. For 16 years, he's done nothing but bully and fight and scream and holler and be real loud on TV, not actually ever accomplishing a blessed thing for the job he's getting paid a very nice salary for in a position of great power as chairman of the Judiciary Committee. But all he really is is a reality TV star for the right cinematic universe that they live in, where fighting is all that matters. And getting the libs is all that matters and beating the progressives and all that matters. And everybody's a socialist unless they're a hardcore Trumpian or whatever else nonsense they want to spout. It's okay to have conservative principles. It's okay to believe in conservatism if that's what you believe in and that's your ideology. That's not really what the Jim Jordans of the world are doing. They're just reality TV characters with elected offices to make it sound like they're important. And that's what's really happening now in the Congress. They don't know how to function. They don't know how to lead. Leaders put together coalitions so that they can get stuff done. I know that's a dirty word to the talk radio crowd, but deal with it. It's the way things work, whether it's in your job, whether it's in your families, whether it's in your community. If all you ever do is fight your family and fight at your job and fight your boss and fight your peers and fight your subordinates if you're in a position of authority and fight everybody in your community, you know that. You've been to that PTA meeting, right? You've been to that HOA meeting, right, with the person that just wants to fight nonstop. Do you like that person? Do you enjoy being around that person? Does that person ever get a blessed thing done that's actually important, or do they just irritate everybody? Well, that's the Jim Jordans of the world. And I'm not even really picking on Jim Jordan here. There's dozens just like him. There's folks on the Democrat side just like him, too. When the Democrats get into power, we'll talk about them. But right now, the Republicans are on power, and they brought this on themselves. Think about that person in the PTA meetings, the HOA meetings, the ones that just drive you nuts with all the fight, 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 fight. That family member that nobody can stand to be around because all they want to do is fight, fight, fight. Why do we elect people like that if you don't want to tolerate them in your PTA meetings, in your HOA meetings, and in your families, and in your churches, and in your lodge meetings, or whatever civic organization you're involved in? You don't like that person. And yet, that same personality type, if they tickle your ears with the right politics and the right ideology and pour just the right amount of buzzwords into your ears, all of a sudden you think they're the greatest thing ever. There's something very broken in our politics, and it starts with us because the Jim Jordans of the world keep getting elected to Congress by their constituency because they fight. But we've seen the limits of it now. Being a big reality star TV on ideological programming, on right-wing media. And I do a lot of right-wing media. Nothing wrong with it. I do right-wing media. I've done progressive media. I've been published in The Spectator. I've been published in The Examiner. I've gone on Young Turks. If that my level of adulting offends you, then too bad. I'll talk to anybody who wants to talk to me. They're not going to tell me what to say, but I will give them my opinion on it. Because about a third of the country is conservative. About another third of it's really progressive. And then everybody else falls somewhere in the middle. It's not 
one side against the other. It's really three thirds. And the one third is completely sick of the other two thirds acting like they're the only two groups that exist in the country. What you're seeing in the GOP Congress is a reality check. Fighting for the sake of fighting. Fighting to be a TV personality on news media and in the conservative tacosphere. And I'm a member of it sometimes. I'm a talking head. I'm guilty too. Being just that doesn't fly when you need a leader, when you need leadership, when you've got to put together a coalition. Because people like Jim Jordan, who don't know how to do anything but fight and bully and push people around, eventually people say, no, you're not pushing us any further. And then they've got no other tool in the bag to go to. They don't know how to put together a governing coalition. They don't know how to pass legislation because he's never done it in 16 years. Jim Jordan is a symptom of the problem. The problem is too many people want celebrity politicians that tell them what they want to hear and tell them that they're going to fight them and them always changes to whatever they need in the moment. And when the going gets tough, they can't get going. They don't know how because all they know how to do is oppose and fight and caterwaul and make a big mess of things to make it look like productive activity. They can't really produce anything good because it ain't in them because their entire premise is to just fight against them. Stop tolerating such nonsense. The Republicans are reaping exactly what they've sown. Years of excusing Donald Trump, years of excusing bad congressmen who don't actually do anything, years and years and years of a media, conservative media I'm talking about here, not mainstream media, conservative media, right-wing media, and I'm sometimes a part of it, telling people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. Thus is thus, and this is what you get. Enjoy the chaos, House GOP, Republican Party at large. You're now a laughing stock, and it's an embarrassment to the whole country because it turns out just being good on Fox News and having pithy one-liners on Twitter doesn't govern squat. And that's what we got right now out of our GOP leadership and that thin majority y'all wanted to crow so much about it. A whole lot of squat. Try to make something better of it. More Hurtel right after this. but we are fierce. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. We're going to talk some movies because God knows if you take one look at the headlines, we need a break from that hot mess once in a while. He is our resident reviewer, double board certified reviewer at that, Arthur Mendez of the Mendez Movie Report. Love having you, my friend. Luis Mendez is here. How are you, my friend? Hey, uh, getting a little excited because uh, a lot of these festival films that I've been hearing about but have not gotten to see myself are finally going to start hitting the theaters soon. Yeah, and let's just start right there because we've got the strike done. They announced it about three weeks ago. They actually got the paperwork done here a couple days ago as we're recording this, so it's official now. Is there going to be a little bit of a surge or a backlog? We already know some major motion pictures got pushed for post-production, things like Dune into next year. 
what's kind of the state of things? Is there a little bit of a surge of stuff to get done now? Is people going to try to play catch up? What's the state of the movie industry now that they got the strike out of the way going into the holiday season, which is usually pretty busy for movies? Yeah, but I mean, the thing that I will remind everyone, though, is that the, only the writers strike got solved. We still got the actors strike. Um, and that's the big one in terms of trying to get, um, um, you know, campaigning and, and advertising film out there. Uh, I think someone had uh, I was on another podcast and I think someone had pointed out that if you look at uh, a lot of these morning shows and such, uh, a lot of the stuff that they've been guests that they've been having to come in and uh, advertise stuff is basically like musicians. Uh, you know, unfortunately, even though the writer is very key to making a movie, they don't necessarily are, unless they happen to be like the director, writer, situation like that. The writer isn't the one who gets to go out there and advertise and, and, and sell the movie. So I think the studios, I think we're in a position where we're probably closer than not to the actress strike getting solved. Um, and I think the studios are starting to get more positive that that's going to get solved because I noticed that the color purple which is supposed to be coming out during christmas it looks like they are going ahead and releasing that they are going ahead to start releasing the marketing for that so they must be confident that they're going to have the actress back in time to advertise that film um so i don't think we're going to be seeing any more major delays um though there are questions about certain movies that seem to be kind of like saturated around the holiday season um but i would say that the studios seem to be more positive. The studio and the industry as a whole seem to be more positive that things are about to really get back to normal. Um, so if anything, I think if any part of the industry really took a hit, it's really going to be playing catch up. It's going to be uh, the TV side of things because the writer strike really hurts them uh, much quicker than it hurts the film industry. Yeah, Luis Mendez joining us. Uh, I saw advertisements. I was watching uh, The Voice with the Family. Uh, Color Purple was on every five commercials. Like, they're really pushing it now. I've noticed that in the advertising, so that money has gone out. The other thing about it is, and I forget who wrote this or I would claim it, but a couple different people have brought it up. So it's like, if you're worried about the actor strike, there's no way they're going to go into award season without the actors because that just doesn't work, and that's when right. they get all their press and that's, you know, really starts here towards the end of the year, going into the new year. People seem to think this is going to get resolved somewhere in that time period because they just can't. They finally had two decent summers in a row for the first time in three or four years. They just can't afford to not have award season, can they? No, because you have to remember first, if you're going to be awarding these people and you're going to have a televised, especially for the televised shows. I mean, look, when when we at Central Florida Critics Group, a Puerto Rico Critics Group, when we send out an award to uh, someone, it's 99.9% probably likely that they don't even know that we awarded them for that award. You know, we just come out with our press releases and such. But then you have the really big places like Critics Choice, Hollywood Critics, Golden Globes, BAFTA, the Guilds, the Oscars, obviously, where they do attend these awards. Um, and it's not just about having to have the actors there to give them the awards, but it's also because the actors are what sell people to watch the awards. It's not just, you know, award junkies like me that want to see what won. It's also like some general audiences normies out there that are like hey look all these celebrities are going to be in one room uh, let me tune in to see so it's it, it's they really do need the actors if they want to have the and it's why the emmys 
delayed all the way to January because they know for sure that they're going to need, you know, the, the the actors there to sell people to tune in. Yeah, Luis Mendez, Mendez Movie Report. We have him linked. They are recommended by the Herd Tell Substack. Make sure you're subscribing to him. Great stuff. You've been doing some media, though. I wanted to ask you real quick. Um, when you're doing other podcasts besides ours or other media, things like that, what's the general feel? We talk about creators a lot, especially with the way Twitter's going now and the way YouTube's been changing some of their algorithms and stuff. Folks like you on the entertainment side that do this sort of thing, what's the overall feel of that side of the reporting on entertainment, whether it's movie reviews or celebrity following and all these sorts of things? It feels like it's really changed. And some of this strike coverage, some of the um, critics coverage, some of the movie coverage even, it really feels like some of these folks are finding their niches. The business model is still a little wonky. It's like, do you do Substack? Do you do YouTube? Do you do podcasts? Podcasting, do you do mixes of stuff? It really feels like, though, I've really noticed the journalism's better, the coverage is better. I've been really impressed with how the creators, which we've almost turned that into a bad word, how the creators have kind of stepped up during the last, especially this summer, how they cover this kind of stuff. Well, I mean, it, I think you've seen that in the growth of particularly where uh, it used to be that if you wanted to cover this stuff, you were going to have to go to college and maybe get a film uh, degree of some sort in film school and then or journalism degree. I mean, not, not that I, that's a bad thing for anybody to get. I would probably recommend it. It could help them a lot, especially if they want to get paid more for doing this. Uh, but I think uh, that the passion that a lot of people like me who just want to talk movies or, or talk about the industry or, or you know, do our movie reviews and make be get opinionated to make lists of what our favorite movies are of each year or all time. I think that's really grown because I think that kind of stuff really speaks to a lot of general audiences out there. I think there's something about passion that will always um, sell to a lot of people that, and especially because it's not fake. And I think people uh, enjoyed seeing that, that someone's true passion for the industry and with the new media that's been rising and, and a lot of these new critics groups that have been uh, affording opportunities that, uh, you know, people like me would have had a tough time getting into some of these critics groups 10, 20 years ago. I mean, 10, 20 years ago, these critics groups were much more of a, of a sort of club. Uh, that you really had to fight to get in. And I think because of that, you're seeing, in the same way that with the expansion of the Academy, you're starting to see a little bit of change of what wins uh, um, best picture, what wins, what can win awards. You're seeing that with the critics and the kind of movies that the critics are pushing. Um, you know, last year we were the ones that pushed a, uh, you know, audacious sci-fi comedy uh, to the Oscars. And then they ended up giving it best picture. Uh, you know, and don't forget that a lot of us who are in this right now, we're the ones who grew up with not necessarily like, you know, in 1993, uh, as great as Schindler's List is, a lot of us who grew up during that time, you know, it's Jurassic Park for us. And it, I think that change in sort of taste in movies um, and the passion is what has led to a change i think in in people being more interested in the content and of course all the new media helps as well i mean there's so much out there that you can you, you want to do youtube channel you want to do a podcast you want to do a sub stack uh you you want to get into writing that that's still out there 
Um, so, uh, you know, I just think it's a, it's a, it's almost like we have embarrassment of riches now if you want to be doing this stuff. Yeah, Luis Mendez, Mendez movie report. Once I learn how to speak a little better, you know I'm not good with my hoblaw, man. I can't roll my R's or my M's. You know how that works. Mendez movie report. We love having him on. Real quick for folks, because we say things like award season, we take it for granted. The calendar is very much the boss of what happens between now and the Oscars, right? Just break it down for people what happens through now, because now these movies that got pushed back, there's deadlines they got to meet, there's release points they got to meet. Just walk people through that process real quickly as we get into quote unquote award season, what that actually means, because that means some very specific things for folks that are looking to get into something like the Golden Globes or the Oscars, which is what people really pay attention to. So basically just different stages to the entire awards uh, campaign. First, you have a situation where the critics get to basically spend about a month all by themselves releasing a lot of uh, doing their nominations, doing their awards. That typically happens throughout December because there are a lot of we they, they tend to send us screeners and we get to catch movies uh, earlier, obviously, uh, as they're coming out in December to general audiences and such. Um, and then from there, around January, you start to see the Golden Globes and the Critics' Choice and the Hollywood Critics and, and such like that start to chime in. That's when you start seeing the nominations for the Guilds and then the nominations for the Oscars. And then throughout January, the last Critics come in, the big ones come in through February. And then should be this year, unless it, it is delayed, though I don't think it's going to be delayed. Early March will be the Oscars. The deadline that you want to meet if you really want to get award recognition is to get your stuff screened, whether it's out to the public or not, by around Thanksgiving time. Because a little bit after Thanksgiving time that you that New York and L.A. critics are the first, basically the ones that tend to get their stuff out first. Um, and you really need that, that critic push because while – we critics and the academy can have different tastes when it comes to what win. Uh, we are important in what they're going to, what's going to probably get nominated. Because put yourself in the shoes of an academy member. Uh, you know, you're working throughout. This is your job. You're working on the movie set. You're you're trying to get something financed for a project. That's your entire year. You're busy. Maybe even if you're like a character actor or uh, someone who works behind the scenes, you, you might have to get even have a second job. You got a life. You got kids. You got family. And then all of a sudden at the end of the year, whatever group you belong to, whether it's a guild, the academy itself, they want you to start voting for nominees. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, how do I play catch up with all these movies that I haven't gotten to? Well, let me see what the critics have been giving awards to. Because if they get a huge stack of screeners, they're going to pick out what they see is getting awarded because they want to see if it's as good as the critics say it is. And that's how the m momentum can build for a film, for a performance. It's why I truly believe that certain years could have been different had we pushed things differently. I mean, look. Uh, it will always annoy me that in 2021, had we 
We praised In the Heights so much. It showed up in a lot of critics' best of the year list, but we didn't push it for awards. Had we pushed it for awards, I really think that that movie could have been a bigger contender. And so basically, you really need to get that stuff out to critics by Thanksgiving. Um, it's, now, can you overcome not getting it out by Thanksgiving? Yes, it has happened. Uh, I think of Little Women recently, Phantom Thread. Those movies came out in late December, and then they just started to build up uh, as, the, as, the, as the campaign went on. But it's one of the reasons why, if you see me on social media these days, I keep saying I want to know when they are going to screen Color Purple because that is one of the extremely few awards contenders that they have not screened yet. And they, I think they really need to get this screened by Thanksgiving time. Yep. Uh, Luis Mendez, Mendez Movie Report. All right, let's have a little fun. Halloween's coming up. <laughs> Boy, you could talk about what's a scary movie and what's not. You have two different reviews in the genre that's up in Mendez Movie Report. You got the slasher version of that with Saw X right now. You've got the new Exorcist Believer movie, which is more the psychological. By the way, you know I'm a big soundtrack guy. Original Exorcist, that piano soundtrack theme, all-timer, Hall of Fame, Mm -hmm. wonderful soundtrack. Um, So that's two versions of it. I was in a hotel traveling and Hocus Pocus, the original Hocus Pocus was on. We watched that with the family. Everybody loves that. Give me a couple things. Halloween season, whether it's a scary movie or just a spooky fun movie, this is a fun time of year for movies. It's a long category. It's a lot of history. You're one of those history guys. Like You can go back to the 20s and 30s. They were doing spooky movies pretty early on, weren't they? But give us a couple things as this part of the year rolls around. Um. Well, you mean for the year or like scary movies coming out this year? Either one. You're the expert. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think that the, a lot of the major stuff from this year has kind of come out for the scary stuff. Like, it's interesting that late October looks like it's going to be sort of the beginning of some of these more awards films coming out. Uh, Saw X, look, I am not a fan of the Saw series. I like the first one, but the sequels just, I, I just didn't like them. I think they, I kind of they thought they, they were kind of like gore porn and, uh, but this one, which decides to take place between part one and part two, I mean, it's, it, uh, they really make, expound on that John Kramer character, uh, Jigsaw, and who I've always thought was interesting, but unfortunately, because the way the series plays out, all we do is see him do flashbacks. Um, so you think he gets to play a little bit of a vigilante role here. Um, so I think this is the best movie since the first one. Exorcist Believer, I mean, I, I'm I'm in the minority because this movie has been trashed by critics, it's been trashed by audiences. I don't know if my expectations were just too low because I did get a, around to it a little bit later than I would have. And I thought it was okay. Um, is it a copycat Exorcist film? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen much worse. Is it anywhere near as good as what I consider to be the near masterpiece that is the first film? No, obviously not. Um, but it's not like the Exorcist sequels have ever been anywhere near close to as good as that. Um, I would recommend, folks... Um, to go on if if they have peacock they do have a lot of the universal monster films there and i always always watch the universal monsters during halloween obviously everybody likes to watch fun stuff like hocus pocus i'm a big rocky horror picture show guy um and also um if you have hbo max there's a lot of interesting foreign horror that's on there uh the Leaks from 1955 is a in very interesting french 
horror film. Um, M from 1931 is a very interesting horror film. Um, and I, I guess some people could count creature features almost as horror films, especially the ones during the 50s where they really ex uh, explored all the science uh advancements that were happening at the time in the nuclear age um and also if anybody happens to be interested in silent horror uh the phantom of the opera from 1925 uh, I, I i believe that's in the public domain now uh and of course uh the the cabinet of dr caligari from 1920 Nosferatu from 1922 there, there's a lot of horror to uh, check out um online if uh people know where to find it Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Yeah, Luis Mendez, let me ask you about that because it, this year had quite a few horror is the wrong term, but just for lack of an overarching term, horror type movies. There was quite a few this year. There was some, A24 had another, they seem to just pump out cult classics, but they had Talk to Me, which a lot of people really liked. Um, Disney had the Haunted Mansion mess where people actually liked the movie if they watched it, just nobody watched it, but the people who watched it liked it. Things that traditionally should, you would think, be like a Halloween season, but they get pushed to the middle of the year. Is that the award show pressure at the end of the year? Why is that? Because everybody, like, we're just lay people, but a lot of people are like, Haunted Mansion, why in the world didn't you release that around Halloween? Is it that award show pressure? Is it the calendar? Is that part of the thing? Is it trying to get a summer blockbuster to juice the numbers? Things like that just didn't make sense to people, especially Disney, which is usually, they're pretty strict about their calendar even years in advance on things like that. 
I, I don't think it's the awards pressure because she, you can basically uh, these students should be able to walk and chew gum at the same time, and then get, they, there is commercial stuff that obviously comes out at the end of the year. It's not just all uh, attempts to get awards. I honestly think it's them trying to get greedy and trying to get a summer blockbuster out there and not being patient. I mean, Haunted Mansion, the critics didn't like it. I disagree with them. I had a blast with that film. Audiences responded very good to that movie. The problem is, is that the movie came out a week after the whole Barbenheimer stuff. And it should when they it should have come out in October or at least like late September, probably would have done a lot better at the box office had it done that. Uh, but you know what? This is a problem that we've seen for some time. Disney had made this mistake with Hocus Pocus. A lot of people don't know uh, this, but Hocus Pocus came out during the summer. And that whole movie takes place on Halloween night. So it was a box office bomb. The critics didn't give it a good review. It, it, it only happened through the years, especially as uh, people from my generation were watching on the Disney Channel. And, and time passed and it became this big sort of cultural hit and classic. But Disney messed up from even having it come out during the summer. And there's so many stories like this. If you go look, this this goes back to the old days. Miracle on uh, 34th Street came out in summer. In the summer. Why do you you're gonna do better if you come out with a movie during the if you're gonna set in a holiday, then come out with it during the holiday. I mean. Uh, now, one of the awards contenders that we have this year, the holdovers, which should be coming out uh, wide around November, but that is a that is a holiday movie. So at least they're coming at least they're coming out with that when they should. Of course, obviously it helps it's an award movie, and they tend to try to push us at the end of the year. Uh, but no, I, I honestly think that if anything, it's probably just greedy trying to create a summer blockbuster when. They really should just lean into whatever holiday it is. And we have an audience that's conditioned to think that holiday movies are on Hallmark Channel now. Yeah. I yeah, mean, that's that's, just, that's, a, that's a thing. Like, people, because everything's so diversified, balkanized, whatever you want to call it, the audience, look, my household is like, hey, when's the, when's the Hallmark movie start? It's just kind of a thing we do now. And yeah, they're cheesy and they're corny, but it's good family time and people do it. And you know you're going to get a month's worth of, you know, popcorn holidays. We're conditioned now that, you know, Hallmark and Netflix and whatever, we're going to do holiday movies at home on streaming now. That's a real thing. Oh, yeah. And and, and it extends to other stuff. Like, I mean, a lot of people, they're expecting romantic comedies to be straight to stream streamers now. Uh, you, it's kind of rare to, we, we've gotten some few that have gotten some big theatrical thing you, you, with big names. I mean, just yesterday, I caught up to a film that came out earlier in the year called Rye Lane, which is, a, I think you can watch it on Hulu. Um, that film is really good. It's got a cinematic quality to it. It's from a first-time director. It's a funny film. But the studio didn't release it theatrically. They decided to release it through streamer because they've just condition people that these romantic comedies are going to be caught on streaming um so yeah that that is true uh it, it it's it's one of the things that martin scorsese kind of spoke to uh in recent interviews in regard that the studios have gotten to the point where they're so obsessed with blockbusters and franchises that i'll let these other smaller 
genres have really suffered. I mean, I can't imagine where the independent cinema would be at the moment if it wasn't for these A24s and these neons uh, being able to sort of carve their own niche out for that stuff. A24 has a heck of a batting average right now. If you look over the last couple of years, you've talked about that studio a lot there, you know, independent movie. Almost, I, I got tickled because the new Anne Hathaway movie is independent comedy. I'm like, really? The term's almost lost its meaning, but a studio like A24 that's really carved out a niche that it's almost synonymous now. When you say A24, I kind of know what kind of a movie, whatever the genre or the director is, I kind of know what I'm going to get with it, right? I'm going to get a certain kind of production quality and a certain kind of feel to it. That's hard to do in Hollywood. They've actually done it, though. Yeah, but I, I think the fact that they're able to be that smaller studio has helped them a lot because it automatically people know that we're not going to be getting major franchises with these guys. We're not going to be getting blockbusters. We're going to be getting very uh, uh, auteur-driven films, trying to get original ideas out there. And they have all kinds of movies. They have movies that have uh, are very uh, artistic and I wouldn't necessarily call accessible. Uh, they have horror films. A lot of the horror films have been successful. Uh, they have family fil films that I think families would like. Um, they, they just recently had their first animated movie, Marcel the Shell, that ended up being a big awards player. Uh, my personal favorite animated movie from last year. And then, you know, they're freaking winning Best Picture. A couple of years ago, they won with Moonlight. Last year, they won with Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, you know, they, they, they really have carved a niche out for themselves as the place where there's going to be original stories of all kinds. They're not going to be scared to take risks. Um, and they're not, they're not by themselves. There's Neon, uh, which... I mean, hit big time a couple of years ago when they uh, distributed Parasite. Um, and, you know, a lot of these smaller studios, if, if a lot more general audiences would know about them, I think they'd really appreciate the fact that they get a lot of original stories from these guys. It's not just a bunch of sequels and remakes. Mendez. One more thing before I let you go. I've been thinking about this. I may write about this. I, we don't understand how much streaming has changed movies. For my and here's here's how this happened to me. So my generation, so much of the movies that we love, those eight you were talking about the nineties, you know that those classic movies of the eighties and nineties. So many of those we actually watched them on cable because they were on cable all the time over and over. look Sunday night movie on ABC and whatever where you got the first run theatrical release on TV for the first time that used to be a really big deal like what movie CBS did it ABC did is like okay Sunday night that's the first run not in a theater you get to see it you know going back to the early VHS days when I remember when you had to rent a VHS player to get a VHS tape okay I'm that old. What's really changed, though, because I was watching some of the old like the old Breakfast Club movies with my kids and I forgot there's so much bad language in it because we always watch the cable versions. Right. And the edited version, the the 
the way cinema and movies, and especially those classic cult classic movies that we think of, Top Gun's a good example of that. That movie was kept alive because it was always on cable for decades. And then you got the sequel. You're not going to get that now with streaming because streaming, you have to go out and find it. It doesn't have that repetitive shelf life for 10, 20, 15 years. I think Shawshank might be the best example of this, a movie that nobody watched in the theaters and now is on everybody's list as one of the all-time great films because they saw it on cable over and over. It was the ultimate cable stop. Like if you see it, you stopped and watched it. That part of the movie experience is gone now with streaming. I think that's going to greatly affect how we view movies, not right now, but maybe in 10, 15, 20 years. You don't have that repetition to find those movies like that again. I think that's something that we're not really talking about in movies and cinema, but I think it's something that's going to really change culturally how we take in films and think about them. You know, it's funny because I was actually just having a conversation like this with my brother the other day, because if you really think when we grew up, you know, we there were a lot of classics, uh, even movies that came out before we were born that were constantly playing on cable. And now on streaming, if, if you want to find that, I mean, maybe I know HBO Max has a, a, a great section of classics uh, with their Criterion section. But, um, oh no, I shouldn't say Criterion, they have the Turner Classic Movies section there. Turner Classic Movies is a great niche network for a lot of classics. But if with the exception of that, streaming basically just feeds off a lot of the very latest stuff and then it moves on as time goes by. So it, it gets harder and harder for these folks to discover, younger people to discover these classics. Um, and I'm, I think you've already seen a little bit of an effect on that. I mean, there, I remember growing up, Casablanca was in the conversation for greatest film of all time, potentially. Um, now, it's still a very well-known movie, but it, I feel like it's slipping from that conversation. And, and you ask a lot of these young kids and they're like, well, I've heard of it, but I haven't watched it because I remember growing up, they, they, that movie would come on a couple of times uh, on cable. I mean, TNT. I remember when I was young, TNT would play it sometimes. But now we're, we're, Casablanca is just like this random movie that you find in some section on HBO Max. Um, so it's it's gonna be it's going to affect the way some of these movies have aged. And one of the things that are some some cinephiles might be a little bit scared to talk about is that if you really think about it, films have only been around for a little for a little over a hundred years. You compare that to um, books. Books have been around for millennia, and it's not like there are plenty of books that were probably successful or very popular at the time that. It, I, we do we don't remember at all today so film is still in an extremely early part of the medium and a lot of films that we consider to be these great classics especially us cinephiles who are like super crazy about this you know i people know who know me know that i've gone all the way back to watching a bunch of silent films um a lot of those movies are gonna age not age as great as time goes by not because they're bad movies per se but or, i mean you know granted some things might be because of context but also because it's just the way we consume me media is changing and it's gonna be a, a lot of these older classics that we grew up with are going to become more and more niche classics i think so too and casablanca goes right back to what we were talking about like 
how you release films, how you view film. That was considered a throwaway movie. It was just a, it was what they called contract fillers back then, right? You had people under contract. They had to put them in a movie in a certain amount of time or they go to work somewhere else or whatever. Casablanca was not intended to be one of the greatest movies of all time. It was considered a contract filler for the stars involved. And if you, I've actually got the book. Um, it's right here, Round Up the Usual Suspects. Excellent book. I highly recommend anybody wants to read it. How they made that movie and and what happened. That's the perfect example. It just grew over time and it became that. And I really wonder with the way streaming and things work, I think the you know they used to talk about movies having legs. I don't know you're going to have that anymore. I mean, I, I don't want to say that it's completely impossible. I, I still think it's, you know, as time goes by, some people will discover things, but it, I think it's going to get harder and harder. Um, I, you know, I, I think the best example that I can think of recently is First Man. Came out in 2018, didn't do as hot as some people thought it would do, ended up getting ignored awards-wise, and since it's been kind of building up a little bit of a legacy. Some people have become a little bit more of a champion for that film, but it's definitely going to be much, much harder to build those things. Heck, it's already getting harder at the box office because it, it's become so important that you get as much money as you can during that first weekend because by the next weekend, there's some other major movie coming out. Uh, so it's it's this instant gratification and the, the change in how we consume media is just going to make it's going to make it a little tough, maybe more than a little tough for a lot of these movies to age and um, have that momentum legacy wise, box office wise, uh, you know, in so many ways. Luis Mendez, Mendez Movie Report. We highly recommend it on Substack. We'll be linking to it and all his stuff, and it's got his media hits. I was complimenting him earlier. His graphics are way better than mine. I'll try to step it up. Look, you're a Florida guy. you got to have the neon on there. I get it. I get it. Uh, let folks know where they can keep up with you until we get you back on the program. I'm going to keep having you because we love having these conversations, especially why this stuff works, not just the movie reviews. Let folks know where they can follow you until we get you back, my friend. Well, you can find me at MendesMovieReport.com. Takes you straight into my Substack, one hundred percent free. You know, no, no one has to pay for anything. Uh, you get my movie. You get at least one major movie review almost every week. You get uh, links to all to where you can find me elsewhere. You get my Oscar projections, which really start heating up towards the end of the year. Uh, sometimes I'll do a list on my own classic movies that I love. Uh, I'll link up to any podcasts or media stuff that I do. And if you want to find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, uh, Twitter slash X, uh, Letterboxd, Mendes Movie RPT. Good stuff. We always appreciate you, my friend. We'll keep having you back because, God, I love talking about this other than the hot mess that's in the world right now. But that's what movies are supposed to be. They're supposed to be a good escape. Luis Mendez, our good friend. Appreciate you, sir. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Anytime. That'll do it for this edition of Bird Tell. Wherever you are, you can join us 
through whatever medium you're listening to. If you're on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, we're even on some podcasts over in India. You folks in India, we see you on the stats. Welcome. Thank you. Drop us a line. We're all over the world and on any podcasting platform you can think of. Make sure you're subscribing and or following or whatever that platform calls it. That helps us keep track of you, lets us know how you're listening to the program, make sure we can tailor it to get it to you. Heard Tell Show or my name, Andrew Donaldson, on any of those platforms, it'll come right up. But we have a one-stop shop for everything that we do, herdtell.substack.com. It's completely free. Subscribe. You get everything right into your inbox. Anytime I write, do a media appearance, do a new episode of Herd Tell. We also have Herd Tell specials. We're going to get back to doing the twice on Sunday recap shows. We also have a huge archive. So we're going to have some specials, some best of things like that. And also some of the food writing from Yonder and Home. We're starting to re-up that as well. We got over 600 episodes of Herd Tell in the archive to start porting over. We're going to be working on that. So sign up for the Substack, please. Get you right in your inbox. Never miss anything. Doesn't cost you anything more than a click herdtell.substack.com we sure appreciate it and follow us on social media herdtell show on the twitter four for the fires my personal twitter handle no we're not going to call it x but if you could share us and let folks know that our programs we're checking out we sure would appreciate it so wherever you are across the street or around the world we hope you're well we hope you are well fed we'll talk to you real soon for the next herdtell All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Herd Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutan. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com.